Hey everybody, this is Rob from the Caffeine Crew Cast of Pods and DC Primetime, and I'm here to tell you something that you should definitely be doing if you haven't done so already, and that is heading over to www.nextlevelradioonline.com. There's a ton of other great podcasts on the network if you haven't checked them out already, such as From Panels to Pixels, Two Fat Dudes, What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero, uh, an upcoming Lost Revisited podcast, uh, in addition to our flagship show, The Showcast Spotlight, which is about to probably get ready to kick off its brand new season of celebrity interviews. Great shows like The Melting Pat, Primetime Fantasy Football, and Con Talk. So whatever your interest is, there's definitely something for you at Next Level Radio Online. Make sure to check them out, like them, review them, share. Thank you guys so much for all of your years of support. Now, back to the show. Warning, the following podcast may contain spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. You did good, Oliver. Thank you. It's not over yet. It is for you. Am I wrong? You know, we're dealing with Samantha Watson for months. There's no way she was going to help you without strings attached. But those strings, Oliver, that's a hell of a sacrifice. I had to look at the way that I've been doing things. It's not working. I lost my city. I lost my team. There's a penance for that. It just seems a little drastic. Coming from the guy who just took a bullet for his daughter. voluntarily uh, handed myself over to the FBI. Can you comment any further? Yes, I can. I am the Green Arrow. I realize that I've denied that claim with the same conviction with which I'm speaking now. I have let good people stand accused of things that I've done. Roy Harper is not the Green Arrow. Tommy Merlin most certainly not the Green Arrow. These are two names on a long list of people who have given so much and sacrificed everything in the name of my crusade. Some of them gave their lives in the pursuit of one simple objective, to save our city. Star City still needs saving. Last night, we dealt our enemy a critical blow, but there is still work to be done. So I'm looking to the people of this city. I'm looking to my allies, to my friends, to my partners, and I'm asking them to continue. 
keep fighting. I'm asking them to complete our mission. To save our city. Welcome, Primers, into this issue 109 of the DC Primetime Podcast here on the Next Level Podcast Network from the Showcast Spotlight. Also here on the Next Level Podcast Network, I am Ben Beck. And from the Camping Crew Cast of Pods, uh, also a Next Level Network from nextlevelradioonline.com. Yes, another fine Next Level. Sorry, I just want to say Next Level a lot. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> uh, my name is Rob Martin. And we have a... Three more episodes this week to bring to you those including the penultimate of The Flash and the season finale of Arrow. And man, right off the bat, before we even get into rankings and everything, it was a good week for shows. Oh my god, it was. I was I've been I've been doing this whole thing of waiting till the last minute a lot the last couple of weeks. And I think it's right now, I think it's because we're getting near the season's end. So part of it's keeping the shows fresh in my brain. The other part of it is I think superhero fatigue is setting in just a little bit for me. It usually does by this time of the year because we're like surrounded by it nonstop. There's been so many massive superhero things in this past year alone uh, between the finales of last year to now where it's just kind of like, oh, my God, you know, this is we're just about to get out of the woods. I'm going to, you know, when everything's wrapped up, no superhero stuff for months. Yeah, that's a good thing. I think it's a really <laughs> important good thing right now. I need to reset my brain. But man, I will say this: while my enthusiasm has been a little lower as of late, this week brought it all back. Yes. Uh, I was I I'm, was really very pleasantly surprised across the board this week. So yeah, um, and as you could tell by the name of the episode this week, uh, Pointy Redemption. Uh, yeah, the Arrow finale was very strong. And I honestly can't wait to talk about it because there's a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, but before we get into the shows, I just want to say this weekend has been exhausting for me. I've been covering Wizard World Philadelphia, which is here in town. And, uh, you know, through it, I got to say hi to uh, David Ramsey and Rick Gonzalez from Arrow, speaking of Arrow. And I got to say, I didn't even get to tell you this during show prep, but, uh, you know, David was great. I've, I've run into David a number of times. He remembers me every time now, which is cool. That's what happens when you share the stage with him for like four times. Um, but I haven't seen Rick Gonzalez in over, almost a year. Uh, it's been almost a year since I did his panel with him, Josh Segarra, and Echo Kellum. Uh, but just to speak of the caliber of a person that Rick Gonzalez is. Um, he didn't have anybody in his line. Everybody was in David's line. Nobody was in Rick's line. Uh, I felt bad for him. I always feel bad for people when that happens to them. Uh, so I went up to Rick just to say hi. You know, I wanted to introduce myself again just in case I didn't remember. Um, and I wasn't even to his table yet when he stood up and said, Ben, man, how's it going? That's which, awesome. Which blew me away. Um, the caliper of a person who can remember somebody um, 
you know, it means one, it made me feel good because it means the panel that I did with him was was memorable enough that he remembered who I was. And just the fact that after all that time, you know, almost a year, I, I wouldn't remember somebody's name having only interacted with them for 45 minutes, uh, mm-hmm. especially the number of people that he interacts with on a daily basis. Um, so the fact that he remembered who I was, asked me how I was doing, you know, he said he loved the energy of that panel. Uh, dude, that meant so much to me. So I'd love to get Rick on this podcast one day. Oh, my God. We got to do it. So. Uh, yeah, because I think once we get into aero discussions, I think the bad taste has left our mouths. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I think it's finally gone. And that's good yeah. going into, you know the next season going into season seven. So, um, but yeah, so I just wanted to share that moment, you know, Rick remembered who I was. David again, remembers who I am. Cause I have interacted with him a number of times. I didn't get to say hi to Steven, unfortunately, cause he was only there for one day. And if you've ever been to a con that Steven is at, you know how popular he is. Mm-hmm. So between autographs and I mean, his is one booth. Every con I go to that has an overflow every convention he goes to. And it's because he's just, that popular because uh, it's Stephen Amell. <laughs> it's Stephen Amell. If he was there like, all weekend, I'm sure I probably would have had an opportunity to say hi to him. But um, because he was only there on Friday, I, I, he was just way <laughs> too busy. Um, but I, I do want to say, and I'm not going to go into detail because we already spent like a half hour talking about this. Um, there's something really cool in the works through Next Level, as well as a couple other partners, uh, and that is that hopefully sometime in 2019 you are going to see. Uh, a convention event pop up in the circuit that will be hosted by us. Um, as well as I said, like two other partners that we're working with, uh, but we are going to be hosting our own two that uh, we're going to be hosting our own pop culture con uh, in 2019, if not 2019, definitely 2020. There's a lot of work that goes into it. Yes. So uh, we don't want to pigeon. We don't want to pigeonhole. Yeah, we don't want to pigeonhole ourselves into locking into 2019. If we can't make it work, if we got to go into 2020, we will. Uh, but we want to take the amount of time that it's going to take to get this put together. The first year is always the hardest. So, um, you know, once you get that first year out of the way, we can very easily plan for the next year. But um, we want to take the time. But you're going to see, and you'll hear us talk about it more and more as it comes closer to closer to fruition. We're going to be hosting our own Pop Culture Con, which I'm really, really excited about. So that is early stages of planning, but you know we wanted to make it known to, to our listeners so that anybody that's in the area of where we have it, uh, we more than welcome them to, to come out and join us when it happens. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Especially with some of the guests that we've already talked about possibly getting. <laughs> oh my well, God. well, like I said, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, no <laughs> reveals got, yet because yes, quite a lot of time between now and then. <laughs> exactly. A lot can happen. <laughs> so exactly. Um, but yes, yeah, so let's talk about the shows this week. Let's um, yeah, let's, do let's that. oh, by the way, there's a new feature to the podcast, Rob. That I don't know if you noticed it or not. Some of our listeners might have noticed it. I did it last week, and I'm going to start doing it as often as possible. There are chapters to the podcast now. Ah, um, I, I haven't seen that yet. If you listen on different um, uh, different platforms, like I know Podcast Addict does it. If you listen through iTunes, iTunes does it. Uh, it there are actual, actual chapters now when you are listening that tell you the title of the chapter, and it tells you how long that chapter is. So if for some reason you did not watch The Flash this week and you want to skip past it, you now know the length of time that chapter runs. And that's what you can pass by, which I think is a really cool feature 
um, again, for people, especially when we go into next season, oh, God, which we have to talk about that in the news, too. Um, you know, when we go into next season of the shows and everything, if for some reason you missed the show that week, you will now be able to skip past it and then go back to it. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't noticed it, chapters are now a thing with the podcast. Now that Very I figured cool. out how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Only took three years. Hey, it's okay. We've you've accomplished a lot in three years, that's, so that's very very true. So, um, all right, but let's start with the rankings of the episodes, giving them our sidekick hero or legend. I think this is going to be really easy because during show prep we talked about this, and I think we're uh, we can move through this pretty quickly. In that we're both in agreement this week. Uh, yeah, we're legend across the board. Yeah, I think all three shows more than deserved it. I know some people may disagree a little bit in a few things, but I, I think the more and more and more I think about it, I, I'm really comfortable giving all three shows that score. I mean, the, the number of values would be probably dramatically different for each. I don't think any show got a perfect 10, but I think every show was definitely between an 8 and a 9 or a 9.5 this yeah. week without question. So Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, we're talking about... Um Supergirl season three, episode 18, you know, legend from that flash, the penultimate season four, episode 22 legend, obviously. And then the arrow season finale, season six, episode 23. I, I think honestly of all three of them gets the highest rating from me. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, flash and Supergirl legend as well, but between the three of them, man, arrow blew me away. So I'm, and that's even with Steven spoiling a lot of it from me for me at his panel. Even watching it, knowing a lot of stuff that was going to happen, I was still blown away by the episode. So, legends across the board for all three shows for both Rob and myself. Yeah. So, all right. Let's jump back and start breaking down the episodes as best as we can. And we'll start with Supergirl Season 3, Episode 18, titled Shelter from the Storm. When Rain starts hunting Ruby, Supergirl and Alex work together to keep her safe. Supergirl and John look to Sam's mother for advice on how to stop Rain and come away with shocking news. Uh, IMDb gave this an 8.2 out of 10, so legend territory from them as well. Um, you know, quite a bit that happens in this in this episode and some really cool stuff I was not expecting uh, that being in the form of two words, Lex's mansion. Yeah. Uh, Man, really, that was cool. And it makes me wonder now if we're going to see a lot more of this set because that was a very big brand new set for that show to play with. Um, so I'm wondering if we're going to see that return. Uh, usually when you see a new piece that large, it's going to play a role some way, shape and form as they continue on. So it's a big wait and see on what they do with that. Yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of mention of Lex this episode. Uh, you know, we find out, you know, there's more, well, there's been more mention of Lex. We know through the kryptonite there was, um, you know, there was mention of Lex through that. We've now, we're now seeing Lex's mansion. We saw a laboratory from Lex underneath his mansion, which was, Oh God, with, uh, with all that beautifully wonderful, like, you know, security measures built into it. Yes. Wow, that was really fun to see because I'm like, man, that's such an old school Lex Luthor, like pre-President Lex, you know, uh, that's exactly what I expected. Yeah. Like that secret layer angle. And it worked wonderfully in this episode. It worked fantastic. And I really, really can't wait to see even more of that if we get even more of that. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we're getting more and more mentions of Lex. I wouldn't be surprised if sometime over the summer we're seeing casting news of Lex Luthor. I would not be surprised as well. I, I think 
I, I think the way that the CW works and these shows work very specifically is they get their way in some way, shape and form at times. Usually when they bring up a character enough and more and more and more, they're usually get to a point where they have to bring that character in. I, I don't think there's ever really been a character that they've brought up more often than Lex Luthor be with the exception of, you know, I, I don't even know who to say. Like when they bring up Clark, when we finally got Superman, it's kind of like, or when they brought up Rachel Gould, it's like, well, we have to bring them in. Yeah, we keep bringing them up. These are the stories that they've they've told us since the start of the Arrowverse. Well, even the, in the news of the crossover this year, that that we'll talk about uh, in the news too. I can't I wait mean, to talk about that one later. There's been Holy a certain crap. there's been a certain character that people have been saying you need to bring them in the Arrow. You need to bring them in the Arrow. And while we're not getting that character, we're getting a form of that character. Yeah, you know, in a way. So it's almost like we've been talking about this so much. We have to do it in some way, shape or form. And the way they're doing it, it is freaking unbelievable. Like it even blew me away. So, yeah, you're right. I think there's been so much mention of Lex. There's been so many hints dropped to Lex that it's it's something that has to happen at some point now. Yeah, uh, one way next, or another. Next year, I have a feeling we're going to see him. I think you're right. And I'm starting to realize something, too, just now. I, I, I honestly just realized that as we were talking about bringing in Lex. Something that didn't click in my mind until now is that if you go to, like, the Death of Superman storyline in the comic books, one of the things you realize through that is that Supergirl and Lex were actually working together. Le- Supergirl – and, I mean, granted, it was a clone of Supergirl at the time. But, you know, Supergirl was technically Lex's bodyguard at one point. Uh, throughout the comic books and i'm realizing now that while we're not going to see that you know supergirl being working with lex we are kind of seeing that already with supergirl working with a luther yeah except this time it's not lex it's lena and this is just now clicking with me that we are technically seeing something that happens in the comics we've been seeing it all season and i haven't realized it until now yeah, it's a beautiful twist on that, and I think it works really well, minus the clone angle and minus it being Lex, but it's still a Luther regardless. So that's great. I mean, it's it's kind of a cool angle on how this is playing out. So yeah, it's still Supergirl working with a Luther. Yeah. Um. Oh, so I guess one of the things I got to bring up really quickly before we get into the meat of this episode, there was a beautiful nod to a character that both you and I want to see on this show this week. Uh, that happened between Marin and John when we hear Marin actually bring up uh, the Eradicator project. Yes, which was a really cool <sighs> like, like if you just if your focus was not there for a second you and missed, missed that, like it was such a light little touch. But I'm like, oh wait a second, the Eradicator project. So you're saying the Martians were involved now, and I'm like, okay, I'm kind of interested to see if that comes back up. What are they going to do with this? You know that that. It opens the door to so many new possibilities. So very excited to see if something comes from that. But that was a really cool, quick little nod. And I'm like, man, because like we've already got this history a little bit in the Arrowverse version of Supergirl that Clark and John know each other uh, very clearly. So the question is, where does that factor in? So I really want to see that come back into play some way, shape and form and have Tyler come back and maybe they can play with that. Probably not this year, but next year. So, yeah, Um, I want to say, too, one of the things that I want to bring up about this um, is the fact that we got a little further um, in something that I had brought up last week. And that was weren't there more capsules on the Legion ship? And we find out almost, you know, halfway through this episode that there were indeed other people in capsules on the ship. We got an explanation as to why they weren't released. 
uh, in that they were affected by the blight and they were kept in stasis for that reason. But we also got, and when they started talking about it, I was like, oh, please let them release, let, let us get some like quick appearances from some other characters going into this finale. But they did give us a good explanation as to why they still couldn't release them. Mm-hmm. And that being, apparently, there was some kind of civil war that happened because of the blight. And, you know, they didn't know where allegiances lied now that the future has been changed. So they didn't want to risk opening these capsules if for some reason some of these people are against each other, not knowing if they would be anymore. Yeah. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a smart way to kind of write off the rest of the capsules that were there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm a little bummed that we won't be seeing any more Legion appearances. But um, at least for now, because I think the big question that's going to come into play, and I have a feeling that our early premonitions of what could come next season are still not off the table because this story was very interesting in the way they handled quite a bit of it. The big key part of that being is Monel does indeed stay behind as Emra and Brainiac 5 go back to Legion timeline. Back to the future. Back to the future. Yes. <laughs> Um, as they had, you know, they head back into, you know, the, the Legion timeline and, you know, head off, you know, Brainiac five makes that big, huge statement stating something very clearly that the odds of them defeating rain with just Supergirl is at about 55% and it jumps up to 88% of at least one Legionnaire stays behind. Uh, obviously Brainiac knowing and understanding very clearly that Monel has an attachment to Kara Emra also realizing that, too, and it's kind of like, look, why don't you stay behind? Obviously, your heart's not where it's supposed to be. I know you can't focus purely on me. You still have feelings for Kara, uh, but get the job done and figure out where where you lay at the end of all of this. So I would not be surprised to see them find a way to get a message from Brainiac at some point in time in the in the future after the rain plot lines wrapped up that things didn't work out as expected with the whole blight angle and they still need Supergirl's help in the future. I think that's still where this is going. Well, I, and I want to see that happen too, only because in this episode, like we know that Brainy and Emra were going back, um, back to the future and it, the, their leaving was kind of lackluster. Like there was really no goodbye. We didn't see, we didn't actually see them leave. We knew that the event to get them back was happening within like a number of hours. Uh, and by the episode, we don't see them leave. We kind of see them just push to the background, which makes me think that if they did in fact leave, we are going to see them again. They are going to return at some point, bef- at some point before this season is over. Yeah, I, I think that's that's in the cards completely. Um, which, but which I, means I, we yeah. still could see appearances from other Legion members before the season wraps. Yeah, I I, I think the the future of the Legion on the show uh, has got a very interesting future. I think it's that book is not closed one bit. I think we just got through the prologue. So yeah, so I mean it's because man, I'm telling you, you know the the whole Back to the Future thing was great. But the interactions that we get between Brainiac and Wynn are, man, the whole space dirt or future dirt conversation when he talks about, like, <laughs> I, I had, you know, I calculated the odds of you, um, you know, collecting either dirt or, you know, Chicago or like Cubs cards and, you know, the seasons, you know, <laughs> the track record of the, of the team. I, I narrowed it down to dirt. Uh, dude, <laughs> that conversation had me rolling. And it, it, it was, in fact, the line of the week up until Arrow. And we, you know, we got the, the 
the last words between Oliver and a particular character, which we'll get to. That that became the line of the week this week just because of the poignancy of it completely. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, but up until that point, that was that whole conversation was the line of the week because that conversation was fantastic. Like the interactions that we got between the two of them that I hope that wasn't the last time we see those two characters together. Yeah, Brainiac uh, has been a really fun addition. Jesse Rath has been fantastic. Oh, I love him in the show. They did such an amazing casting with him, and it worked so beautifully. And again, the fact that they'd used that Back to the Future bit and just our initial references <laughs> of saying that he kind of looked like a little bit like a blue Doc Brown. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, it, it works. It works and comes full cir- circle for us. So which he really kudos does. to us. He really <laughs> kudos does look, to us. He looks like a blue Doc Brown. I love it. Um. So, yeah, so, I mean, outside of that, and, you know, obviously we get more mention of Kryptonite because of Kara um, using it to to thwart off Rain when she comes after her, you know, looking for Ruby. So, um, you know, we know Mon-El stays behind because of everything. So, but again, we don't think the whole Legion storyline is wrapped up just yet. Uh, let's talk about the meat of it a little bit. You know, I, I alluded to it just a little bit when I mentioned... Rain going after uh, Lena to find Ruby. So we do get that little bit in the beginning. We get that tender moment between Lena and James. We get to see the Guardian shield. So we get a little taste of Guardian, not full on Guardian. In which we know Lena knows who he is at this point. And we know that pretty much for the this episode, Rain is after Ruby. Um, and I love how everything was tied together by the end in that not only do we get Sam's mother, who plays a very important part, an integral part in this storyline, but Marin plays a very integral part of this storyline as well. Right. And what they're continuing to do with Marin and John, I think, is working really incredibly well so far. Uh, Carl Lumby and David Harewood have beautiful on-screen chemistry. You know, like I said, when we talked to David, you know, a couple months ago. Uh, you, you you could tell how proud he was of that work, as you said the other week. And, man, that continues to just shine here. And they're doing such an awesome job. And I loved, you know, the back and forth interactions where it was really sweet but also kind of sad as well through the whole thing. But seeing that John's kind of coming to terms with that. And it's it's kind of when you go back to that Superman line where, you know, the father becomes the son and the son becomes the father. You're seeing that continue to play out. And it's working really well here. And they're doing a really exceptional job of still using those characters in a great way that works well. But it's got a lot of heart to it. And it's bringing something special to the show and keeping that consistent in viewers' heads. So, Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. And, um, you know, going back to when we talked to David, you know, he mentioned how much he loved working with Carl Lumbee throughout this season and working with that character. And that man, that really shines through in these moments that they that they share on screen. So seeing David and seeing Carl work together is just it's it, it, I love seeing these moments now because it, it it's so much more. It's so much easier to enjoy knowing that they were enjoying these moments as well. Mm-hmm. When they were Absolutely. Filming, yeah. When they were filming. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we know now that the hiding place of Ruby, who we haven't seen for a couple episodes, Ruby was indeed hidden in Lex's mansion, which was itself hidden uh, by, I guess, holographic imaging or some kind of so, cloak. Yeah, some kind of cloaking tech that he was using, which, 
again, when that appeared, I was like, oh, that's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. I was so happy that they played with that and they added to that. And like I said, we geeked out about it already in the beginning. But that was one of those kind of like, man, they are like the gloves are starting to come off. And like I said, where it's just that moment getting closer and closer to getting to Lex. And I think that's so important in the show. I know it's a Superman villain, not a Supergirl villain. But as you even mentioned, those characters do have a very rich history. And even though it was the different take on Supergirl, uh, you know, it was that whole uh, the clone version that we had uh, back in like, you know, Death of Superman timeline, as you put it. Uh, it it's I, I think they can do so much here with this. And they're setting this groundwork to really do something fun. But, man, that was such a great setting. Such an awesome setting. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you completely. I mean, it, we, you know, we find out, um, you know, I think it would just be cool if for some reason, you know, they brought in Lex. Again, he's such an integral part of um, of Superman, but you don't realize that Supergirl played a, a part in his in his story as well. Uh, to see Lex come in would be a great reason to bring back to bring back uh, Tyler Hokum uh, as Superman again, which yeah. I don't think we've seen the last of that character. Oh, well. absolutely not. I think if if CW is smart, they'll, they'll make sure he's back next season for at least an episode or two. They know that is a massive draw, especially with what's coming up with the news. This is uh -huh. a big way, way to for, for them to say, if you're not watching Supergirl, this is a reminder to watch Supergirl, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think what was really beautiful, though, was I really love the angle of what they're doing with Alex and Ruby and their friendship. Uh, you know, Alex that playing on that idea of her kind of really wanting to become a mom and her kind of stepping in between both herself and, and Lena being these surrogate mothers to Ruby this season have been also really well executed, well written, and it, it just worked. But it led to this wonderful, wonderful shot in this this episode where, you know, they're trying to track down Rain, figure out where she's going to strike next. Uh, you know, we we know she's going to go after her mom uh, and Ruby being in this key point of them trying to keep her safe with Rain's goal to track Ruby down first and foremost the moment that Ruby picks up the phone and makes that phone call to Sam um, and then you cut away to that beautiful shot mirroring a lot of wonderful Supergirl and Superman sequences of rain just hovering above and just listening and waiting to hear that and then taking off. Like we've seen that with like, oh, my God, I got to go save this person. But this was very much a vicious. I'm going to kill this person. Yeah, it was a flip so of a, the script. It was a beautiful flip of that. But that sequence, it was you see, saw that shot and you just still got chills but in a very different way. And I'm like, that was so beautifully executed. And I was really proud of them for flipping the script on that one. So, yeah, I still think, you know, it was a prediction that we made a little while back that Ruby was going to play an integral part in the saving of, of Sam and Ruby and or of Sam and, and rain. And I still think that's something that's going to play out because it played out a little bit in this episode. Um, you know, we find out, that that was the way they actually prevented rain from stopping Sam from stopping, uh, stopping her from killing Ruby was that, you know, Supergirl steps up and says, look, you have a code you, while you may not be going about it in the most orthodox of ways, you're here to make the world a better place. And this girl is innocent is killing this girl really part of that plan. And, and it stops her enough that they're able to, you know, it holds her enough that they're able to stop, stop rain at that point. So, while indirectly, Ruby has already become that that plan has kind of already played out a little bit, right? And that Ruby and, was integral in them stopping Rain. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you, and I think it worked great. Like you know, this the way that they they played that up, and I think 
seeing that final revelation for Ruby, seeing her mom as Rain, uh, worked. It, it worked really well because that could have played off really kind of hokey. And I think the execution was just right. But, I, man, you know, like I said, we did see, you know, Sam's, uh, you know, stepmom, you know, killed in the process of this or her, her, her adopt, you know, you know, the adoptive mother of, of Sam, you know, killed off by rain, which was not surprising. Like we, I think we all saw that coming a little while back. Yeah. Um, but that, that last end sequence we saw with that fight played out great though. Like I said, mon and Kara both using the capes to stop rain. Alex using her gun, which I think very much is not red sun bullets. So no. we now find out it's electric. It was really hard to tell last week. Because it was these giant red bursts that were stopping the world killer in their tracks. And now I'm like, that's the only thing that makes sense. Now we know it's it's not the case, thankfully. Because uh, I was like, wow, that puts a lot of weird holes in our thoughts. Um, but yeah, no, this worked well. I, I think that was a cool take. But them using the kryptonite the way that they did with Mono crushing it down, putting it in a Gatling gun, and just loading up rain with a whole bunch of bullets. Man, that was awesome. That was such a cool little thing that they did there. And I... Yeah, I don't. I'm sure in the comics there have been kryptonite bullets a thousand and one ways. This is the first time we're seeing it here in this way and done in a very badass way. So, well, not only that, but it's it's a supercharged kryptonite too, as we found out earlier. Is that mm-hmm. you know because Lena admits to to Kara or to Supergirl rather that you know the kryptonite was not Lex's. The kryptonite was hers. She knows how to generate it. So. One of the things that's really making me sold on Lena as a good Luther is the fact that she has been very upfront and forthcoming with her information. She may have held it, but now that the time, now that this information is needed, she's being completely open. You know, she's revealing to Kara that, like, look, I know uh, this kryptonite's not only mine, I know how to make it. So, you know, secrets are coming out, and well, not even secrets, but truths are coming out. And you know, we're seeing more and more of that as we, you know, we know that she had it before. We know that Sam, that Lena had rain or had Sam. She was very open up, up front about that when it was revealed. The kryptonite now, she's being very open and forthcoming with that information. And she even said, like, this is kryptonite that I made and it's supercharged to help you stop rain. Yeah. And, you know, we see that kind of play out throughout the episode as well is that Kara realizes, Supergirl realizes by the end that, you know, she was good in her motives. She didn't have any evil motives in creating this kryptonite. Now she knows, and she apologizes to Lena about that, which kind of leads to a conversation, a very interesting conversation that happens at the end between Lena and Kara, mm-hmm. in that Lena admits to Kara that Supergirl is not all she's cracked up to be, and she's very dishonest. And obviously knowing that Kara is Supergirl, this is very disheartening to Kara to hear. And that Lena is not a fan of Supergirl. Yeah, and I'm wondering if I, I'm now. This is my take at this point. I think by season's end, Kara's gonna reveal her identity to Lena. I, I think, think so too. I think that will happen, and it's going to solidify the continuation of their friendship, or it's going to create a really interesting villain for next season. Uh, I, I really don't know. I, I really don't know where they're gonna go with things, but. Uh, I think that reveal is happen is going to happen still this season. Uh, it's just the question of does Lena find out or does Kara, um, you know, unveil her identity? And I think it's going to be more Kara kind of taking what Lena said to heart uh, that she kind of went outside of uh, outside of what she she should have done in the situation with Lena being so upfront and honest with things. Like you even remember, you know, 
last week when they're in like that can kind of like Kryptonian like dream world where it's kind of like, oh, you know, whole thing about honestly, why don't you take off, you know, tell me who you really are. You know, that whole conversation was there. So they definitely set that up. Uh, and I think we're going to continue to see that set up until season finale. Yeah. So. No, I think so, too. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the interesting and very final scene of the episode as well. But before we get into that and before we wrap up the episode, is there anything else about this episode that we kind of have to bring up before we talk about that final scene and look forward to next week? No, I think that really kind of covers it. It was just now that it just cuts down to the pseudo confusing final sequence. Yeah. I mean, we get a new character introduced, which I mean, again, we still have, I think, four episodes left. Of Supergirl, yeah, I think four, four or five, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know we see Rain in custody at the end of this, back in the lab. So we don't know. Obviously, they have to go somewhere with this within these four episodes. Um, you know, because we didn't talk a little bit about that. We did indeed get confirmation that she absorbed the powers of the other two world killers. Um, so we did get confirmation of that, uh, and we now see that Sam, aka Rain, is in custody. So we don't know where they're going to go with the next episode. But they kind of left us with a little bit of a teaser that confused us and that we see a new character who we haven't seen before called named Tanya. Um, and we got mentioned of some journal that she's in possession of. Well, that and journal looked very much – I can't re- – I apologize. I can't remember the character's name. But it was the Colville. character that uh, that Chad Chad Blow played. Yeah. I, I, my guess is that was his journal from his cult. Um, because they kept bringing up the world killers over and over and over. We know he's still in prison. It's the question of, does she have that journal and have some information that can help them stop rain? So, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but looking forward to next week, we are going to get an appearance from Tanya. So hopefully we're going to get a little bit more, uh, into that. Uh, but next week's episode, a disciple of Coville's escape from what's left of his cult. Oh, uh, a disciple of Coville's escapes from what's left of his cult and gives Kara and James a journal that could help save Sam. So there we go. Um, hey, cool. Oh, I didn't even read the synopsis. I had no, no idea. So. Uh, the other part of the synopsis, too, is Guardian is found out. So I wonder if maybe the identity of James as Guardian is going to become public. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder if we're going to see Morgan Edge pop into the picture on that one. So we'll see. He's not listed, but that doesn't mean he's not in the episode because IMDP has become really good about keeping castings um, until after the keeping certain cast surprises until uh, after the episode airs. Yeah. So cool. So, um, we'll see awesome episode, though. Really fun. It was. It was a lot of fun. It and man, really excited for what these last four episodes are going to be. And I got to say this, too. Uh, I don't know if your opinion on this has changed a little bit. Having Rain now with the powers of all three world killers makes her that much more terrifying. Oh, God, it makes her so much more formidable. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to seeing this play out. And, and you know what? And I kind of think that might have been what the world killers were meant to be. Mm-hmm. I think it was just a way to make Rain more powerful by the end. It was a flash in the pan and say, hey, she's not this all-powerful being. But they're like, oh, no, she really is, though. Yes, exactly. Uh, All right. Next show of the week is The Flash, season four, episode 22, titled Think Fast. DeVoe assaults an Argus facility to complete his enlightenment machine. Barry realizes the only way to stop DeVoe is to allow his friends to help. Barry is reluctant to risk his friends' lives and considers taking on taking DeVoe solo. Um. Yeah, IMDb gave this an 8.3 out of 10, so Legend Territory from them as well. And I think the best place to start with this, man, that opening scene 
Oh was, God! What? It was akin to something you would see as a as a fight scene on Arrow, except with metahuman abilities. Actually, know what it reminded me the most of, and I don't know if you got this hint because of the classical music. Man, we're going back in the Wayback Machine in comic book movies, but X Men Two, X Men United, the Nightcrawler scene in Congress in the, in the well in the White House. Oh yeah, in the White House, in the White yeah. House sequence. Uh, it really reminded me a lot of that. The only thing I will say is I feel like I need to go back and watch the sequence because I'm forgetting every power Devoe has because <laughs> he has so many. You and, and I'm like, both. what did he just do and how did he just do that? What meta did he take that from? Because I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, I, I was um, the same way. Like when he brought like the soldiers back to life to like attack and I'm like, um, OK, I don't remember what power it was to do that. I think it was um, th- there was a power that he absorbed to bring like inanimate objects to life. And yeah, that was uh, Black Bison's powers. And yeah. that was my guess is that's what it was. Yeah. So because they were which, dead. So they were technically inanimate. So he was able to bring them back and you know, right. using that ability. Um, and then him just playing with like, you know, moving bullets through portals to shoot people, uh, you know, using that levitation, you know, ability, you know, like from, you know, null. It was all these cool, wonderfully, beautifully executed sequences that played out flawlessly and that was like a good two or three minutes long and my jaw was just on the floor through the whole thing one of the absolute best action sequences on the flash ever yeah Um, i would definitely say that easily falls within the top three Uh, i think the only thing that kind of trumps it is anytime we see a ton of speedsters going after another speedster that's always the best but i will say this is easily in the top three one of the most memorable moments of the flash yet and man that was Beautifully executed. No, agreed. I mean, and we did get a an appearance from David Ramsey, who we mentioned at the top of the show, who, you know, from this weekend. Um, his appearances were very short in this episode, though. I thought we were going to get a little bit more of him this episode. We got two very quick appearances. Of Obviously, we got the one at the opening of the episode where DeVoe takes the form of, of uh, John Diggle in order to get into the Argus facility. Which you could very much tell, Ramsey nailed the inflection of the voice. Because you knew that was DeVoe as Diggle. Oh, yeah. Just from the way that he was speaking. Uh, But I would say the next best part of that is after (laughs) DeVoe does get in and they're like, we need to talk to John. (laughs) And as Barry speeds away, everybody looking for something for John to throw up in was just such a beautiful scene. And I love Cisco picking up the mesh style waste paper. (laughs) Yes. And it's just kind of like, oh, no, that's not going to work. I I didn't think this one through. Yeah. (laughs) And then I just love the fact that when Barry shows back up with John, they immediately hand him the bucket. He throws up. Caitlin's got a bottle of water already ready for him (laughs) just so he can rinse out his mouth. And, dude, I just – I love the sequences that they do anytime when Diggle gets to do something with Barry. Oh, Um, I know. It it works so well. (laughs) He's just never – he's just never used to it. And I I just love it every time they do it. Um, Yeah, so – other than that, there's a lot of straightforwardness going into this penultimate, which I'm completely fine with, because it's a lot of setup going into the finale, and I think the finale, man, is going to be pretty, pretty epic um, with the way everything has been set up. You know, we we find out that the 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 person in the Argus facility, which I think we already knew to begin with, was um, uh, Fallout. Fallout, yeah, Borman, Neil Borman, mm-hmm. and. You know, we knew that he was important to DeVoe's plan because Borman, a.k.a. Fallout, is the battery to um, 
you know, is basically like a nuclear battery in DeVos pocket in order to power the satellites. Uh, and we did find out, we did get confirmation that the, what was given to Barry last week was indeed just one projectile. It was not multiple. It was just a single. Yep. But that was all they needed. They just needed to knock out one satellite and it took out the entire ring. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we did see that play out, and I'm very curious now that with the satellites out, DeVoe obviously has a backup plan of some sort. So it'll be very curious to see what that's going to be. Yeah, well, we, we already saw it play out by the end of the episode. It was, you know, that that initial one from Mercury Labs being destroyed uh, and him pulling the Star Lab satellite by the end of the episode. Oh, and that's actually right still launching the Enlightenment in full by the end of the episode. But one of the things I know we're getting a little out of order, but one of the interesting parts about this episode is when that initial satellite's destroyed, uh, you know, the thinker actually does get into a little bit more about what the Enlightenment's plans really are. It's not just to kind of dumb people down, but it's really to wipe away emotion um, and make people a lot more like him. So I think that was a really unique take on the next stage of all of this. Uh, but I still love the way that they're kind of piggybacking this story off of what was happening to Harrison Wells. And that's working really, really great. And I love the fact that what we see with Iris and Harry when they confront Marlies, she realizes what's really happening and what the stages are already and how badly this is going to impa- impact everything. So we definitely see them gain an ally by the end of this episode because you can see Marlies is fully on board but, with doing well, what she could to stop for the most part. But I don't I, know if that's the truth, though. I don't know if we really do have an ally in Marlies because she says she says in the conversation, like when she sees what's happening to Harry, you know, she says, like, this is what's going to happen to everybody. You're in the early stages of the Enlightenment. And yes, I have left my husband, but that doesn't change that what he's doing is right. She still agrees that what he's doing is needed. So I don't know if yet if we have a full ally in Marlies. I think we're going to have a massive change of heart from her by the end. And I think we're, we're going to see kind of a, a doomed lovers scenario where I think Marlies will do something to both kill herself and Clifford by the end of this. Um, but again, my call on this, I, I, I could be completely wrong on this, but I have a feeling we're going to definitely see her step into play pretty heavily in this finale. Um, but I, I do think one of the things that she mentioned and you just brought up as well was, you know, Harry is in the early stages of the enlightenment. So even though the enlightenment went off, the heroes and team flash have time in this finale. So we're going to see them begin to deteriorate, but they're not going to be like, you know, you know, morons, like through the majority of this episode, this is not like a follow up sequel to idiocracy part two yeah. featuring the flash, <laughs> you know, you know, it's, uh, although I would watch that. <laughs> The Speed Force. It's what it's what's uh, you know. It's what Flash craved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, so yeah, yeah, I'm very curious to see it play out on how that's going to work because I think you're going to start seeing them struggle. And I think again, Harry being the one person that really understands, you got to follow your heart, follow emotion. And I think that's the one thing that's been missing from the Flash this season is Barry's heart and emotion it has really dramatically altered we saw that heart of him still when he was in the you know the trial of the flash kind of storyline earlier in the year when he was in prison but since he's come out since ralph has been you know taken out of the picture for the time being and i still say for the time being because i'm still holding true to my thoughts that ralph is very much not dead I, I'm, uh, and i'm hoping to that too like i'm clinging to that ever since you said it because that's what i want to see happen by the end um uh, I, I i think really in all honesty 
there's enough there for us that I, I think that idea that emotion really needs to play into how to stop things and having, I think, Barry be the one to be able to harness that is what's going to bring that one piece of the puzzle that feels like it's been missing for like the last six or seven episodes from his character. Um, this is like the third or fourth time we've seen him be, you know, in this series, kind of like, I'm doing this alone, I'm doing this alone, I'm doing this alone. It's like, no, 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 you're you're not Ralph. <laughs> Let's not repeat lessons constantly. We don't need to. You've overcome this before. Just continue to overcome it. It's the problem that these Arrowverse shows do have is because they're long-running shows, you fall back on old ideas and plot lines a little too frequently sometimes, especially when you get past a couple of years because some of those things are important that you have to kind of re- revitalize the message of these characters. But I think this is the one where it, it's such a key component of the show being what it was and what it is that ha- not having Barry as this positive, you know, positive character that's full of this heart and wonderful emotion be able to harness that normally on an episode by episode basis can hurt the show. So I think the fact that they're going to learn something massive and you're going to get that Barry Allen that we love and have so near and dear to us that we've got most of the season, I think we'll, we'll be fully back in in play by season's end. Well, I think we almost saw a little bit of it come back into play by this episode in that, you know, we get that beautiful, uh, we mentioned this a little bit during the top of the episode and I know more in show prep too, that, um, you know, we get that wonderful moment of that conversation between Barry and Cisco at the end in that, you know, he feels that Barry feels that because obviously one of the big parts of this episode is that they realize one of the only ways they can help these hostages that DeVoe has at the Argus facility is that both Cisco and Caitlin need to enter flash time with Barry in order to help uh, because otherwise these, these hostages are, are going to be killed. So, you know, when he's throughout this of training them, he realizes he's not ready and he goes into that that rant again that I, I need to do this alone. You guys aren't ready. I don't have time to train and I can't risk anything happening to anybody else. But we get that beautiful moment between Cisco and Barry at the end of this episode with Cisco saying, you know, you're not the only one that's hurting over Ralph. You're not the only one who's responsible for Ralph. Like I was the one who brought Ralph into this. You didn't create Ralph, I did. We created the best met- the bus metas when we were saving you. Mm-hmm. So if anybody's responsible for Ralph, it's me. So it's <clears throat> you know, which is a very good point which and it was something that I didn't really even consider until it was brought up by Cisco. Yeah, because they actually did a really great job of making it feel like it has been all on Barry and them kind of reminding us no it really never was it it never had anything to do with it but then cisco follows it up with another beautiful statement in this episode that's kind of like look we gave ralph the abilities to do these things he's the one that had to choose to do what he wanted to with it nobody could force his hand you gave him a choice now give us a choice and it was this like i said i will i will say this to the end of this series Carlos Valdez and Grant Gustin's chemistry as best friends on screen is always wonderfully and beautifully executed so incredibly well week to week from the beginning of the show until the show's end. I'm sure this will remain one of the best parts of the series. And this was one of their best performances back and forth with each other. Um, And that reminds us of back of the last year when the two of them were on the rocks. Um, when, you know, everything with Flashpoint happened. So 
again, really wonderfully executed yet again, and a very beautifully strong scene that helped move this, I think, from a high hero into a legend. No, I agree with that completely. And you're absolutely right. That has been some of the strongest um, that we've seen come out of the two of them is, that, is their chemistry together on screen. Anytime we see it is just is phenomenal. Um, some of the other stuff that we have to talk about, we, we, we touched base, obviously, on on Harry in the early stages of the Enlightenment. Uh, we touched base on uh, the opening scene with DeVoe. We talked about the, the moment with Barry and Cisco, um, And... Cisco and Caitlin entering flash time too, which was just a lot of fun moments of them figuring out like how to make that work and, and seeing them working within flash time as well. Uh, but one of the other things we have to touch on is Cecile. And we see some really great moments in that the pregnancy is leading, is causing her meta ability to uh, mutate slightly in that she's not only reading the minds, she's kind of, taking on the personalities and taking on the persona <laughs> of the people, which one of the funniest moments of that. And I got to say too, um, D- Danielle Nicolette, uh, such fun acting coming from her taking on the persona of the pizza dude. Oh God. I was just rolling <laughs> in my chair. So, it was so fun to watch her become that person. Um, and I wonder if that is something uh, is is it just something fun that they're doing with Cecile's character just to keep her in play and to keep her involved? Uh, or is this something that's going to become part of the main story in the finale next week or this week? Well, I, I think really in the grand scheme of things, they did tell us that her meta abilities are really just there because there's trace dark matter in everybody in Star City. And it just the pregnancy kind of forced that to kind of take the next step. But we know they even did mention that more than likely Cecile will not have any abilities or powers post-pregnancy. It's only was the short term. But it leads us to the question now of the kid. Is the kid going to be the one that is the meta? And more than likely, yes. And a lot of people are all pointing to the signs that that mystery girl is Joe and Cecile's daughter. So Iris oh, I is, said that last week. Yeah. So so as, as you mentioned it, the Internet's saying it like crazy, too, you know. It still very much could be Barry and Iris's daughter. We have no idea yet. There's so many fan theories out there right now. You know, we've talked about the Legion angle. It could be a thousand and one things. But I think that's where we're going to see that mutation happen is with the baby when it's born in the finale. Yeah, uh, and and you're right. I think, uh, you know, the metahuman abilities uh, are going to transfer to the baby and, and Cecile's going to be back to normal by the end of the season. So yeah. I just didn't know if this was something that they were doing because it's it's going to come into play uh, with everything beforehand, but most likely not because of her current state of pregnancy. It's it's probably just something fun they did with this episode. I could see them in the finale still for this week, maybe using Cecile to get inside DeVoe's head, which is very possible too. So it's a... I, anything could happen um, because that's a complete angle I didn't even think about until you just brought that up now is how she factors into the finale. And that's a big way to factor into the finale. Why would you introduce something like that in the penultimate if you're not going to use it? So my guess is she's going to be a secret weapon against DeVoe that no one's going to see coming. So uh, it's a big wait and see. But I, I, that's my thought and theory on this at this point in time. So, But again, you're right, though. This was pure comic gold in this episode between the pizza dude and then her becoming Joe, uh, which was just 
awesome. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so exactly. I was, and well, I mean, and we did see her as well take on the persona of Caitlyn, which in its own way that was a little fun as well because we see her Kate kind of take on like the obsessive compulsiveness that Caitlyn kind of has. You know, these beakers have water spots and. You know, that that was a lot of fun as well, but that wasn't nearly as fun as seeing her become Pisa Dude. Yeah, but you brought up Caitlin, though, and we got one tiny last little piece for this episode that we have to touch on. And that is Caitlin very much did have something that she was repressing and keeping back. That being she was almost severely injured and killed as a child. And her body's response was to turn into Killer Frost back then. So something interesting now that we now know she very much is and always has been Killer Frost, uh, and may not have anything to do with Flash Time. So it's a big wait and see. Well, and and not only that, but it makes you... Or not Flash Time, Flashpoint. Flashpoint. Um, But it makes you wonder as well, um, if this is something that has always been the case, and this is something that's always been within her, obviously this is not something that the, the Particle Accelerator created in the way it did with Barry and everybody else, is that while she is technically a metahuman what caused this this is something that has been deep-seated within her probably since birth Mm -hmm. and it's a matter of is she i'm trying to think of a way to put this um her abilities make her a metahuman but is she she's not in the traditional sense of what we know a metahuman she's a different a different form of a metahuman because all metahumans that we have seen throughout the run of this show have been particle accelerator or post. Yeah. And the question is, there could be very much something very interesting, but we do know her mom was a scientist. Was her mom messing around with dark matter? Uh, and this was caused to her when she was a kid some, at some point in time. Uh, Cause we did see when she went to see her mother last year and was trying to work with this and try to find a way to, Get around this, you know, or was it this season? I can't remember for the life of me. I know. They blend uh, together sometimes. Uh, last year, last year when she became Killer Frost. So it was last year because um, that was when she was working with Savitar and all that such. Uh, they do blend together. You're right. Um, <laughs> so I, I have a feeling it wouldn't be surprised if it had to do something with her mother. So it's a big wait and see. Yeah. Uh, but it also could lead to if there were metahumans before the particle accelerator, uh, how many other ones, how many others are out there? Yeah, uh, like I said, it's it's a beautiful new wrinkle into the world of The Flash that they can spend a ton of time kind of peeling back the layers and figuring out what's going on. So It's a potential setup for possibly what they can go into next season, uh, as we know that there's going to be two other things that happen next season or in the finale that are going to lead to next season as well. So they could have already started planting the seeds for, um, you know, for season five. So we'll wait and see. Uh, Yeah, Tuesday night, we find out potentially who our big bad is for next year, and we get the uh, the reveal of the mystery girl. So it's uh, it's going to be a huge week. So, yeah, Uh, but looking forward to next week. Uh, Simple. It is the season finale. Simple synopsis. The team gets help from a surprising ally in their battle against the Uh, could be a number of different people, Um, you know. We we obviously could get Marlise being the one that helps them. We, it could be the mystery girl that ends up helping them in some way, shape, or form. We know Bill Goldberg is coming back to reprise his role next episode. Uh, Hartley Sawyer is listed in the credits, so I don't think it's going to be Ralph. But um, it could very well could be. It, it it could definitely be in some way. So we don't know. It's going right. to 
just sit and watch and wait and play it out. I'm going to give a quick premonition on this one. Uh, so Ralph's abilities, we did get a little bit a couple weeks back, and then we'll move on to Arrow because there's a lot to unpack there too. Uh, but I've, I've been thinking about this, and I just want to get it out there and see if I get this right for this week, is that uh, DeVoe does mention that because of his ability to stretch, he can handle and hold a lot the consciousness of more people and their abilities and not kind of deteriorate. What if Ralph was able to just shift his mind to the side when DeVoe took over? So that would be pretty, pretty damn cool. Uh, and he finds a way to kind of fight back through it. So it's uh, and very possible. This, and we see this really cool scene of his face changing back and forth from DeVoe to Ralph mm-hmm. because Ralph is fighting back. I think it's that's that's what I want to see. And that's what I hope we get. That so. would be pretty damn cool if that happens. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, all right, moving on then to uh, the season finale of Arrow, season six, episode 23, titled Life Sentence. With a new ally on his team, Oliver engages Diaz in the epic final battle. Uh, that new ally, as we found out, we were predicting was going to be uh, Laurel. In a sense, it was, uh, but I don't think that's the ally they were alluding to. Uh, I think that ally they were alluding to was Anatoly. Because we do see Anatoly, we, we've seen him in over the past couple episodes kind of helping Oliver a little bit, but he full-on turns on Diaz in this episode, both siding with Team Arrow and and the FBI as well, kind of turning himself in and yeah. giving them all the information that he could give. And, of course, Diaz is not a fool. He knows that Anatoly has turned against him. Uh, but before we get into that, obviously, opening sequence of this, again, Another fantastic opening of of a show. We see Team Arrow with Team Argus with the FBI. Everybody's back together. Everybody's on the same page. Uh, and I initially was going to name this episode The Return of Haas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a lot of Hosses dropped. <laughs> well, we only got it twice in the episode, but uh, it wasn't overdone. But it was such a <laughs> it was so nice last week. Not having any Haas talk. Yeah. And, um, you know, getting it back this week. But it's it's almost fitting that we, you know, we said last week that, and we're probably going to jump around a lot in this episode because there's a lot that happens. But I want to say, you know, I, I wish I had seen this episode before I got to talk to Rick this weekend because there is an absolutely wonderful and very heart-wrenching moment with Renee in this episode. Mm-hmm. Early on, yeah. Um, when Renee calls his daughter, and it's almost like he's he's saying goodbye, just in case he doesn't make it out. And seeing all of that, man, I, I, again, I really wish I had watched this finale before I talked to Rick, because I would have brought it up to him. Because mm-hmm. it was such a wonderful scene. Um but, you know, we'll get into that. You know, obviously, we find out from this opening scene that all the teams are working together. Everybody's working with the FBI on this as well. Um, you know, we're seeing Agent Watson teaming with everybody. Uh, and, you know, we see a very important scene at the end of that whole action sequence that Oliver is standing there, you know, with the hood drawn back. And everybody else is, you know, we see, you know, Wild Dog approach him like, you know, uh, what about our masks? And, you know... Uh, uh, Agent Watson makes it. She makes it known that everybody has, well, almost everybody has um, full immunity. Yeah, full full immunity from this, and it was really no secret who you were. Mm-hmm. 
so we see everybody's very open with everybody at, at this point. Uh, you know, you have you have immunity to this, which we find out by the end of this episode is not exactly true. Yeah. Um, but we do get mention of some people coming into next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you have a little bit more of it in the news as well, uh, but we get mention of a pretty significant Green Arrow villain team. Yeah, uh, the, in the, the villains. Uh, yeah, the Longbow Hunters. The yeah. Longbow Hunters, which mm-hmm. I thought we were going to see them this episode, but I don't think we did. No, no, they uh, they were just just brought up, and I love the fact that Anatoly brought them up is very much a myth. Um, you know, obviously the 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 longbow hunters, you know, being brought up into the mix were kind of like, wait a second, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm like, are you really gonna go here? So that means next year we're getting a supervillain team, which is perfect for this show, which is absolutely wonderful. They did mention that there's four of them. I mean, and it's. It's a team founded and led by Diaz in the comics, and the team works really well here, especially because we've already met some of these characters on this show if they go that route. Because normally in the comics, it's Diaz, it's Count Vertigo, it's the Clock King, it's Brick, and then uh, the characters that we haven't met are Red Dart and then Killer Moth, (laughs) of all people. So (laughs) they could do so much with this. And if that's the case, man, seeing Vinnie Jones come back, you know, seeing Peter Stormare come back, you know, I can't remember who played the Clock King when he made his appearance on Arrow, you know, a, a little while back. Um, he, I think his first appearance was originally on The Flash, uh, but I think we did see him on Arrow as well. But, man, it would be great to see all these characters come back and we're going to get get that version. It, it's that's really my hope is that's the ones we're going to see. Uh, but if not, and it's a brand new cast of villains that are coming into play, man, even better. They can they can do so much with this. You know, we got a lot of brick the other year. Uh, you know, I don't know if he's a character necessary to bring back into the fold. As much as I do like Vinnie Jones, I would like to see them maybe display with some new characters or characters that maybe got a quick one off and really build them and do something fun. So, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, it, it, it'll be great to see. We do know going into season seven that um a very big prediction that you made plays out by the end of this episode, which we'll get to in a little bit. Do, <laughs> Almost uh, to the T. Yeah. So. But we do know uh, as well from, you know, news is broken about this as well. Steven has said it in a recent interview that the producers, because it's going to be new, new showrunners next year, um, and the new showrunners are going to be attempting a different type of storytelling going into season seven, which Steven is actually very excited about. So, um, just the fact that he's excited about this makes me excited about this. I hope it corrects a lot of wrongs that happened with the storytelling this season. But it makes me very curious because I don't know. He hasn't elaborated on what that means uh, on this different type of storytelling. But I'm hoping that with this team of villains coming in, you know, we know by the end, obviously, Diaz survives. Uh, which was something that was rather surprising to me because I, until you just said it a couple minutes ago, I didn't know Diaz was part of the longbow hunters yeah he's the founder so so now it makes complete sense to me as to why diaz survives by the end of this episode yeah and i and i think this is the first time in six seasons of this show we're going to see a big bad continue past the season that they were involved in yeah it's kind of pulling a little bit of like a black lightning where we were like okay well i think the tobias stuff is going to be wrapped up no this was i really actually really appreciated this because it's the one thing we kept saying is 
man, not enough of Diaz. I don't, I'm not afraid of him yet. Like he's still only done a couple things that are like, kind of like raise the hair on your arms. The fact that they're giving him a lot of time to truly evolve and they're making him an interesting villain. That fight sequence that we got at the end of the episode between the, the way that it was choreographed, the music, the tone of it, just the way everything about that was wonderful. And the fact that it's just the prelude to everything makes this that much more interesting. And it makes me that much more just excited for what's to come for that character because we both criticized it really heavily. And with what they're doing, it works, it makes sense, and it makes me more on board for next year. And I think the fact that you're going to now have a Richard Dragon-led Longbow Hunters team against Team Arrow next year and Star City without his resources and it's just going to be chaos, that's perfect. That's exactly what this show needs. And I think it's the kind of injection and energy this show really needed this year. And coming into this year, but if this was really just a setup for next year, I think it works. I think it really works. And I think we're going to look at season six and season seven as something completely different when all of the show wraps up. And we're going to kind of view that as one story. So, yeah. yeah. And it kind of leads me into something I had alluded to a little bit earlier on, I think maybe an episode or two ago of, of our show, in that this season was kind of almost formatted that the big bad wasn't, in, in fact, Diaz. Diaz, yeah, was pulling the strings of everything, but the city itself was really the villain. The city was what, you know, the corruption in the city was really what they had to overcome, uh, you know, in this in this season was because, you know, while, again, Diaz was kind of the puppet master in pulling the strings, uh, and we didn't feel like he was truly the big bad that we were we were going to get this season. The corruption itself was what was the big bad of this season. And Diaz was literally just a prelude into what they're formatting him to be next season with the Longbow Hunters. Mm-hmm. And when you go back and you reflect on the season, looking at it in that way, I'm not nearly as disappointed with this season as I thought I was going to be. Yeah, and I, it's a statement I think both you and I both didn't expect to say going back to like six or seven episodes ago. Well, don't get me wrong. There are still quite a few issues I had with this season. You know, Collision Course being oh, yeah. the main part of it. And the writing with what they did with the Outsiders is still a huge point of contention with me. But as far as what we talked about, you know, with the big bads of the season and Diaz not being a formidable opponent, not building him up, now knowing what they're going into with season seven, I am I completely revert on everything that I said. Yeah. And because, I feel I mean, like what they were doing was was fantastic. Yeah, that plan executed really well, and it's something that we didn't see coming. And I'm man, that's just uh, that's fantastic. I'm really, really proud of them. And I think they righted a lot of wrongs though too. Like outside of the longbow hunters and the Diaz uh, of it all for this week, we got a lot of redemption across the board this episode. Not just for Ali, but for the outsiders as well. There's yeah. some really well executed, well written, well acted sequences this episode. It doesn't wash away all the sins of the past for this season, but it did a really good job of closing the book on those problems. And I'm really proud of them for doing it well because it was, as Felicity even put it, is this kind of like you know, it, it, it's this you're the you're you know the Green Arrow goodbye tour that he's playing with all these characters. It's all these handshakes. I'm really sorry about the part I played in all this. I really am proud of you. And it's these characters kind of returning that statement and like, look, we understand and we do respect you. We know what you did. What you did was wrong, and that was the problem. But the fact that we still think that what you're doing is important and 
them coming to terms with that, and even a character I didn't think that I would earn any get any of my trust back, managed to get some of it. Not all of it, but some was Black Canary, and I think it worked. Not just from that sequence, but the moment that she went in to save Quentin. And she had that opportunity to make it about her versus Black Siren, and it didn't happen. And I was really proud of that moment. I was incredibly proud of that moment that they said, look, we're going to get past this. We're going to do something. And the fact that she turned on Quentin so horribly this season and was one of the people there to help try to save him. That was an important piece that helped rectify that problem. And I'm really, really proud of the fact that they used her in that way. So kudos to the writers on fixing a situation that they created. So it's kind of like a, a negative one and a positive one. And we end up at a zero point by the end of this, which is fine. You clean the slate for next year. That's what you needed to do. And they did it right. So. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I agree with that completely. There was a lot of redemption in my eyes, especially with Black Canary. The, I, I still had one issue uh, with Black Canary. I do completely agree with everything that you said in that, you know, there was that great moment where, you know, you know, Dinah says to Oliver, you know, I respect you. I respect what you're doing. And then we did. You're right. We get that moment where we see the Canaries work together. I, you know, I think it would have been cool if we saw both canaries scream at the same time, but we didn't get that. Uh, you know, we got them both screaming at separate times, which is fine. But you're right. We see Dinah step up. She had an opportunity to make it about herself. She didn't do it. She helped Quentin. She helped Laurel to, to get out of there. Um, the biggest issue I had with everything, though, is that and let's just jump into this because obviously Quentin is shot. Uh, he's hospitalized by the end of it. And as you heard as the line of the week this week in the opening, we get that fantastic man almost made me cry speech between Oliver and Quentin. You know, when he says, you know, when Quentin says to Oliver, you know, you, you, you're such a good father. And, you know, he says, you know, like, well, I had, you know, I learned from my father. And, you know, Quentin says, well, your father was a good man. He's like, well, I wasn't talking about my father. Mm-hmm. Or learn from a good example, and yeah. Quentin says, "You know, I, y- your father, your father was a great man." And he's like, "I'm not talking about my father," meaning, you know, he's very much saying that he thought of Quentin as a father. Um, and of course, it, it led to something that you predicted last week that I think a lot of people knew was going to happen because of Paul Blackthorne leaving the show. In that he he does not make it through surgery; he does, in fact, um, pass away. Um, which goes back to what I was saying about the whole Dinah redemption and everything. One of the biggest points that I've had, biggest problems was that scene in Collision Course with her hitting Quentin multiple times. And maybe it's just me and maybe it's just me still having the issues with that episode that I just, I was almost, it took away from the death of Quentin to see Dinah shed a tear for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, because like, like, look, this was somebody you tried to put down yourself. Why are you now crying for him? Well, I mean, you did see actually throughout the season still. Again, we're talking about one moment and a fit of rage and all this stuff. But they did have a relationship as friends last year and this year. So it, it, it's just she went <laughs> berserk and did something horrible that we're still very much holding her accountable for. So I think, again, they still view Quentin as, if not a friend, at least a close ally. And I think I it, it's still warrant is still very was a moment that was very much warranted. You know, it, it, her reaction wasn't as strong or as intense as other people's. But I mean, it was still a warranted 
reaction, I think. And, and I, I and again, it's because of Collision Course why we, we view it differently. But if you remove Collision Course as an episode from your brain, it was a warranted thing. It, it, was, it was. Absolutely. It was. But that's very hard to do. Yeah. At and this point. Don't get me wrong. You're right. It completely right. But again, it, even if you go back to Collision Course, and I, I know we're going to look back at Collision Course again very heavily when we talk about our annual this year. Uh, big shock. This is going to that's going to be the worst episode of this season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I think that's a good um, <laughs> So at that moment, though, too, even Thea was just like, you all are morons. What is wrong with you people? Because um, everybody in that episode was absolutely in the wrong. She was just the most in the wrong. Um, but if you remove that from the lexicon of and, and you know, in the order of the season, it, everybody's reactions were correct. And I think Collision Course got away from the writers just in a big, bad way. And they didn't realize the damage that they did until everybody reacted. That's the downside about writing anything. You have no idea when something is done what the general reaction by the public is going to be. You look at the dumbest thing in the world like Legends of Tomorrow. And I'm not saying Legends of Tomorrow is dumb. I, I, it's my favorite show. I make no bones about it. Um, when Bebo was introduced, they had no idea Bebo was going to become that important, you know? No, it's not just, at all. It's a throwaway toy that was in the episode that they were like, this is just funny and for laughs. And everybody gripped onto it, and that character became so important for the finale. Nobody thought that was going to happen, but it's the same thing as they thought, hey, people are going to react to this in a really interesting way, and it's going to be cool. It's going to create this fun divide. It's going to create these interesting stories. They did not expect that at all. Even Guggenheim came out and said that specifically about Collision Course, that they didn't realize how much of what happened they did not earn at all. And they didn't realize that because of what they did in the setup to that moment, because they didn't earn the love and the faith of those characters yet by the by fans, nobody could stand behind them. And it dramatically damaged those characters. When the creator comes out and says, we screwed up and we screwed up in a big, bad way. When your story is written, there's only so much you can do to try to course correct. And I think they did it the best way that they could. They still ended it on a high note and still wrote those sequences because they had to write those sequences later after that episode was written to fix and reflect those problems. And I think they still succeeded. Um, Again, most of the bad tastes out are are your mouths. It's like drink, uh, you know, like binge drinking. You yak the night before and while you feel fine the next day. Your mouth still feels a little off. <laughs> it's the best best analogy I can put for it. Like you, you're like, I feel much better. Everything's OK. But if you still think about it, you're like, you know what? I don't want to have anything with vanilla in it for a long time. And that's kind of, I think, where we're at right now. It's just like, you know what? Maybe pull back a little bit from the outsiders next year, but they're still going to have an importance and I understand it. And I'm sure after having vanilla a few more times, vanilla is going to be OK again. Same way with the outsiders. I think it's once we get them, everything's going to be okay again. And this was a good first step. It's this so was inter- the ta- this was the taste test. It's so interesting to hear Arrow put in in terms of relations to a binge drinking hangover. Uh, but it works though. It really works for this season. <laughs> I hate to put it that way, but I really think though this was the taste test to say, hey, everything's going to be okay. And um, you know, I, I really believed it. I absolutely believed it by the end of it. So. All right. No, I take your word for it. And, and like, again, it, it was probably just me that had that issue. And Oh, no, I still felt it, too. Don't worry. <laughs> but I'm saying <laughs> I, I felt much better by the end of it than my concern when those sequences were happening. I'm like, oh, here it comes. And I'm like, this is going to be the thing that makes me angry this episode. And it didn't happen. And I'm like, I'm like, OK, I'm a little slightly frustrated, but 
just like, you know, <laughs> Cobra Kai, you know, it just ball up your fist. Don't punch the person and just relax for a second. Everything's yeah. going to be fine. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, obviously in that in that whole death of Quentin thing, we it was something else we knew was coming to. We see the return of Sarah Lance. She has uh, which it makes me realize now that Sarah could be there for the death of her father, but Joe couldn't get a hold of Wally. <laughs> to be there for the birth of the kid. Well, the birth of the kid. Yet. Birth. It was he was waiting for a gift. That's true. So uh, okay, so. all right. So yeah, so we could still, in essence, see Wally show up in the finale <laughs> of the Flash this week. Um, but yeah, but we do see Sarah return for, and, and I think is very. I, I think while it wasn't a large role, it was something that needed to happen. Quentin was such an integral part of that show for the past six years, uh, and to not have. Katie Lotts there uh, to say a final goodbye to Quentin, I, I don't think would have been right, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to have it. So it, it, even though it was only like a two minute appearance, it was still warranted to happen. And I think it was very interesting that it was the Laurel of Earth 2 was, in fact, the one that called her. It wasn't Oliver. It wasn't Felicity. It was it was Laurel that did it. Yeah. So um, before that point. Was Sarah aware that Earth 2 Laurel existed? I can't remember. Uh, I would assume so. We, we've never really heard much about it. But I, I would assume because of the way that, that everybody interacts. Like, she was not surprised when she saw her. Like, there was the look on her face was kind of like, this is my sister that's dead. And then she's just like, are you anything like my sister? It was just there happened to be their first interaction. But, you know, it was even, you know, Black Siren that reached out to to Sarah. So it was not somebody from team arrow that did it. It was her. So the fact that she has a way to contact her meant there's definitely something there. So, okay. All right. Yeah. I wasn't sure if that was something that she had known previously already. If, if that was, if she existed or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk about the very end, but before we do that, uh, you know, leading into, what happens at the very end after Quentin's death and leading into where it's going to take us in the season seven. Before we do that, anything else from this finale that you want to bring up before we talk about those final moments? Uh, no, um, I, I think we, we really hit it well. And uh, yeah, the, the Quentin interaction just to, you know, mirror your thoughts. You really felt that both of those actors, when they were tearing up, that definitely there was, because they both knew this was the end of their interactions together as these characters, at least for the time being, unless they do flashbacks or anything in the future uh, or guest star roles. But um, it was a beautiful sequence in your right, a wonderfully believable and amazing, uh, amazing execution by both Paul Blackthorne and Stephen Amell. Um, just wonderfully, wonderfully done. And I think there was a little bit of truth to that, too, when he says, you know, like I, when he thought of Quentin as a sec as a father, I think there's almost a little bit of truth to that in real life as well. In that, you know, they've worked together for so long. Stephen has done nothing but praise Paul Blackthorne, Paul Blackthorne and his acting abilities, as well as his stature on set. Um, that I think, you know, this is something he possibly could have thought of in real life, too, that when it came to acting and stuff, he kind of thought of Paul Blackthorne as a mentor to him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of that reflected in that little moment between the two of them before uh, we get the death of Quentin. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I agree with that completely. I think that's very well 
very well performed between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, but once Quentin has passed away and they've gotten news of it, actually right before they get news of Quentin's passing, uh, we do see um, uh, Agent Watson come in to arrest Oliver. And then we find out something that you predicted as well last week, that the second part of that deal was that Oliver was to turn himself in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while he said to Renee that, you know, you have immunity without your mask, Oliver was the only one that didn't. And he what that was part of the deal. <clears throat> he knew he had already revealed himself to Watson as to who he was. The FBI knew who he was now. Uh, and now it's very interesting because so does the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he gets the you know, he comes out uh, and in front of reporters admits to everybody i am the green arrow but his speech uh you know amongst everybody was very moving in that like this is why i did it people caught people gave their lives for this crusade uh and this is why i did it the city needed to be saved so after a, a very empowering speech like that which probably maybe gained him more fans again than people behind him, he's led away to Supermax. Yes. Uh, which at, was pretty much spot on your prediction. Yeah, like I said, that ties back to that that film that was in production years ago by David Goyer, uh, that Escape from Supermax was going to be a Green Arrow movie back to like early like 2006, 2007, I think is when they were trying to put that in pre-production. So they're kind of pulling those ideas here. And I think that's a really kind of brilliant move. And I think, you know, again, it'll be probably very short lived because obviously we, we've seen some very key art for some news we're going to talk about in a bit. Um, but, yeah, like I said, you're right, though, a really awesome speech, because not only when he's taken away and he, as as we call it in the biz, pulling a Tony Stark. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, but he gives John a, a, the Green Arrow suit like he gives him, you know, his a new suit to become the next Green Arrow while, while he's locked away. So I think next season will definitely start probably with seeing John John as the, you know, as the Green Arrow at the time, you know, him kind of reminding the city to stand up and make sure they fight for their city. But you can see this is the reason why we're going to see Colton Haynes join the fray again, uh, you know, him very much exonerating, you know, not just, you know the deceased Tommy Merlin, but also Roy Harper is now he's not on the run anymore. His life is now back to being his. And that's exactly uh, the lead in we needed as to how Roy is going to come back next season. And it makes a lot more sense. Yes. So all those pieces work. We now know the outsiders and everybody is going to play very pivotal key roles again, uh, while Ollie is off the board for the probably just the short beginnings of the season uh, before something massive happens. And I would not be surprised to see Agent Watson return in some way, shape and form next year as well. We do know that, you know, the FBI is going to still have a presence in Star City next year until Diaz is brought in. So this was really this finale was just this, again, wonderful setup, like this back half of the season since we've got the, the reveal of Richard Dragon as the big bad was again, all of this was this beautiful setup for season seven and not something we saw coming. And I think that speech is this beautiful primer of what to see. We're going to see coming. And I think we, I would not be surprised to see even more heroes than just the outsiders that we already know just based off of that speech alone. I think we're going to see a lot more vigilantes next year and it's going to be something probably really awesome. I would not be surprised to see single one-off episodes here and there with a new hero, uh, involved in trying to keep Star City in pe- like in in place and 
them really building the Arrowverse even more next year based off of Arrow alone. So, well, people stepping up to take up the mantle, knowing that you know Oliver is in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think we're going to see some more people step up to the plate. I think we're going to see some some other heroes pop up, uh, especially with a hero with a villain team. I think we're going to see some superhero team uh, as well in some way, shape, or form while Oliver is in prison. Um, and it's it's making me re- remember too that I actually had that whole speech that Oliver used planned as the line of the week and not the, the goodbye to Quentin. Uh, so this will be you. You're already hearing it as listeners. Uh, you've already heard it as listeners. We're going to do both. I'm going to do two lines this week. Yeah, because again, beautifully they're both done. pivotal. Yeah, and they're, yeah. and they're both beautiful done, beautifully done. So uh, you've already heard it, but yeah, you're going to get the 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 speech between Oliver and Quentin, and then immediately followed by Oliver's speech at the end of the episode uh, are going to be what plays it out. But yeah, it's, you know, beautiful setup for season seven, the city coming back under control, Longbow Hunters as the, you know, as the, as the villainous team for next year. Oliver's identity has been revealed to everybody. We're going to see Diggle take up the mantle for a short period of time. We're going to see the outsiders working together again, possibly some new heroes step up to the plate. Um, and the return of Roy Harper, they set up so much in just those few final moments of that episode. And that black canary, canary or black siren redemption very much began here. Um, you can definitely see the seeds were very much planted in full by the end of this episode when she tries to kill Diaz. So yes, Man, there's going to be a lot next year. And uh, I didn't think I'd say this, but man, I'm excited for next year. I'm I am really too. excited and, for next year. And you year. know what? If this season taught us anything, it's that while we might be dis- there might be moments of disappointment throughout the season, you got to stick it out to the end. Absolutely. Because and we even said it last week that there, there very much is hope for the finale. And we have a feeling the finale was going to deliver. And it did. It really did. Yeah, I mean, you know, we said earlier that we had that disappointment in Diaz as a villain, but now knowing what they were doing with him, leading into and using him as a lead into season seven, um, we were just being impatient. That was really the problem. And, you know, going into season seven, again, while there might be moments of disappointment, we we just got to let it play out and see where it's going to go and save the disappointment for the end of the season and see if it's merited. Yeah. Uh, because the disappointment we had in Diaz uh, throughout this season, uh, we're now realizing through this finale, was not merited at all. Yeah. They knew what they were doing. They knew where they were taking it. And we just needed to wait it out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so nothing to look forward to to next week because yeah. we're going to get Arrow for a little bit. So next week, we're just going to have two shows to talk about. We're going to talk about Supergirl and the season finale of The Flash. So uh, we do some, we do have some other stuff that we can fit in, but I think next week, we're going to keep the episode relatively shorter. It is Memorial Day weekend, and um, not that that really matters, but um, there's been so much talk with all these shows. I think next week we're going to stick to just talking about these two episodes uh, and not use any filler. But the following weeks after that, we'll, um, w- when we have just Supergirl to talk about for the next three weeks, that's when we'll start. We'll, maybe we'll talk about Suicide Squad. We'll talk about Batman Ninja or Ninja Batman, whatever it's called. Um, we'll do some other stuff that we'll bring up. And if you have anything as listeners you want to hear us talk about in those few weeks, please post on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash DC primetime. Let us know what you want to hear us talk about and we will gladly take it into consideration. Uh, but next week we'll keep it relatively short for the holiday. We'll talk about just those two episodes and we'll take it from there. 
Yeah. So, uh, but I think that's a wrap on talking about these three episodes this week. So I know there's quite a bit of news this week that we can discuss. So I'll turn it over to you for that. All right, let's get the lighter stuff out of the way. Uh, one of them uh, obviously really is not that light, but it's just more of kind of a sad thing. But we'll get into the more interesting stuff after the fact. Um, this past week, uh, Margo Ki- uh, Kidder uh, passed away at yeah, the age of 69. Sad. Yeah, so uh, Lois Lane, uh, the Lois Lane most of us remember from our childhood. So it's uh, very sad to, to see that she did indeed pass. But um you know, I, I can even already tell you this week, one of my biggest recommendations is, is to go back and watch uh, the 1978 Superman, the movie. So, um, but yeah, it was at a, a very sad moment this week with that. So, but uh, let's jump into some other things. So real quick uh, in the video game universe and world, uh, one of the things that's happening right now is it sounds like that Warner Brothers Montreal is working on more um dc related goodness the last game we've gotten from montreal in the you know dc slate was batman arkham origins years ago uh and it's still very much a big fan favorite introduced a couple really cool things the the you know more involved detective mode uh that did make its way into the final game in the arkham series arkham knight so i'm very curious to see what they're working on it sounds like the primary team at warner brothers it rocks uh, the rocksteady studio is working on that superman game more than likely it sounds like that'll get unveiled at e3 in just a couple weeks i think we're about three weeks away uh, but i would not be surprised if we hear what wb montreal is doing uh, a lot of people are expecting this is the Batman Suicide Squad game that was uh, discussed a little while back. So a big wait and see on what's to come here. You know, like I said, Warner Brothers Montreal also worked on big projects like uh, Lord of the Rings, Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War. So they've got a great pedigree over at that studio. Very curious to see what's to come. So uh, maybe we'll see them take that nemesis system and blend it into Batman, which would be a big awesome thing so oh yeah because the the shadow games the mordor games are are fantastic yeah so knowing it's coming from the same studio i'm excited yeah so very curious to see if this is a batman project if this is a little bit more involved big wait and see uh now talking about three shows we normally don't talk about i figure it was important to bring them up here uh the couple shows that were on the bubble we did talk last week about gotham uh actually that night uh, so by the time everybody listened to the episode on Monday morning, we did find out Gotham was renewed, thankfully. Uh, it sounds like that stipulation about Lethal Weapon, from what I was hearing, was partially true, but it sounds like there was some discussions with uh, the showrunners to make sure that they got to wrap up their show properly because of how massive the Gotham cliffhanger was this year. Uh, so it sounds like we're going to definitely get a season next year. It will be the final season for Gotham, uh, and it sounds like it will indeed be a shorter season coming in mid-year. Uh, so not anything from what it sounds like, not a fall return no Uh, i think they've said 2019 is when the show is going to return right and it will focus very heavily on uh having bruce make the full transition into becoming the caped crusader so um we'll uh have a lot to look forward to so it sounds like we're gonna get quite a bit from its final year which i Uh, will say too i watched that finale and it was pretty good yeah i heard the no man's land angle was played off really wonderfully so uh really looking forward to sometime in the summer trying to play catch up so uh but there are two shows also going through some other big things i zombie season five is indeed returning it was another show on the bubble but they did say season five will indeed be this show's finale um so like i said that'll be the final year for it like i said five years is nothing to scoff at very fun show um but like i said we will see at least one more full season from my zombie next year from the folks at the cw 
But unfortunately, the same cannot be said for Fox's Lucifer, which did end on a big cliffhanger. And it sounds like, unfortunately, no one has stepped up to do a pickup of that show. While Fox did uh, cancel quite a few other shows, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine being one of the key ones, which was only canceled for less than 48 hours before being picked up yet again by NBC. Uh, CW did officially come out and state that currently they have no plans to pick up Lucifer. That's not to say that the uh, DC Universe streaming app will not possibly step in. It's a big wait and see since it is a Warner Brothers property and, and involvement, so it's still a possibility. No news at this time as of yet. So I hope it gets picked up. So it is a big wait and see. But something interesting, while one Gotham show ends, another begins, uh, which still <laughs> confuses me because <laughs> I don't understand the reasoning for this one whatsoever, but Gotham showrunner Bruno Heller did state that the next show done by him will be a show simply titled Pennyworth. Uh, looking back at Alfred's life, more than likely the more involved, interesting backstories that they've added for him. But it's not coming to a normal place. It's actually coming to epics. It's going to be a 10-episode straight-to-series order. So, um, And it makes me wonder why more and more and more we have so many shows based in the Batman mythos without Batman involved. I know. Um, <laughs> it's not that scary to put Batman in things, guys. I, I swear to God. Um <laughs> If you can have two Supermen, you can have two Batman. It's quite okay. Don't be afraid. Um, but like I said, so it's a wait and see. But again, very interesting kind of thing. And the only thing that this made me think of was the brand new trailer for Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Yep. <laughs> when it was the whole angle of, you know, Batman's greatest ally and sidekick, you know, Alfred. That's immediately uh, what I thought, too. I was like, oh, they're bringing Teen Titans Go to life. That's fun. Uh, but they did say this. Uh, Pennyworth is based on DC characters created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and it follows Bruce Wayne's legendary butler, Alfred Pennyworth, a former Brit uh, British SAS soldier who forms a security company and goes to work with Thomas Wayne, Bruce's billionaire father, in 1960s London. Production will begin later this year with the series premiere slated for 2019. So uh, another show that we will not be discussing on this network, on this show. Nope. Uh, because, dear God, we, we've, we've, my brain's about to explode with how many things came out this week about more shows in the DC <laughs> world. Uh, speaking of other shows, it sounds like after Titans wraps up on DC Universe's streaming app, another show will follow it immediately picking up where Titans left off, that being Doom Patrol. Uh, so the characters and the actors we have, will be introduced to in Titans will continue their story on in the Doom Patrol series. So... Um, very interesting to see the fact that that's coming into play. We did see a title card for it for DC Universe where it's going to air. Um, and it says, uh, part super group, part superhero team. And the Doom Patrol is a band of superpowered freaks who fight uh, for a world that was wants nothing to do with them. Picking up after the events of Titans, Doom Patrol will find these reluctant heroes in a place they never expected to be called to action by none other than, get this, Cyborg who comes to them with a mission hard to refuse, but without warning, this is hard to ignore. Their lives will never, ever be the same. The big shock with this was nobody saw Cyborg's involvement in this show, which is, I think, wonderful. Now, the big question in my brain is, are we going to see Ray Fisher play this version of Cyborg? I'm, I'm very curious to see what they're going to do, or is this could be brand new, but I'm kind of happy to hear that Cyborg's going to have some form of involvement so maybe that some form of involvement also is in Titans because he's always been a big part of both either the Teen Titans or the Titans team before he was promoted during the reboots for Justice League uh, back during uh, New 52. So you're very curious to see how this comes to play, but really excited to see that Vic Stones could be a part of this. So 
All right, jumping over into some other things. Uh, uh, obviously, the CW's upfronts were this past week, and quite a bit came out of that. Uh, but let's get to the not the biggest shock stuff yet. So first things first, Black Lightning Season 2 synopsis has been unveiled. Um, without reading this whole wall of text, pretty much it's just stating that it's just a direct continuation of last year. We know the big piece here is that we're going to be focusing very heavily on Jennifer. And it sounds like the fact that they're stating right up front is going to be dramatically the most powerful of the Pierce family, even more so than Jefferson and Anissa. And it's her coming to terms with this alongside of her sister and working alongside both of her parents while Tobias Whale continues to damage the uh, you know the world of Freeland, while more metahumans with superpowers will be taking and preying upon the city as well. So that's kind of the general feel of what the season's going to be, which is pretty by the numbers, kind of exactly what we expected. Uh, again, very basic synopsis for ne- this coming season. But we can't talk about that without discussing... CW's massive change to the lineup and the touch of everything and how it horribly impacts me and Ben. Yes. Uh, <laughs> not, yeah. hey, it's great that we're going to get to see all these shows together and there's not going to be any weird flip-flop between Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow. But aside from that, dear God, does this make our lives a nightmare. <laughs> so starting this year, we don't have exact dates on when shows are returning, but the 2018-2019 television seasons Supergirl will be premiering Sunday nights at 8 p.m., 9 p.m., uh, 8, 8, well, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m., followed up by Charmed, uh, a reboot of the classic series. Then Monday night, 8 o'clock, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, followed at 9 o'clock with Arrow. Brand new night for Arrow, coming out of a uh, a more tricky time slot. Tuesday nights now will be The Flash, followed up by Black Lightning. So between Sunday, Monday, Tuesday... All five shows will have aired. Um, like I said, All American and Riverdale will be moving to Wednesday. Supernatural is still continuing on at Thursday nights with Legacies, which is a follow-up to, uh, I think it's the Originals and Vampire Diaries, which is a brand new series. Friday Night Dynasty and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend will be taking those slots. So Sunday to Tuesday now, Ben. Sunday to Tuesday. I know, I know. So I think the best thing we can do is obviously the situation that comes into play for us right now is this. Uh, ben and I always record the show Sunday mornings is our normal time to do this. And uh, to, to post on Monday so that you guys get it before the shows start. Right. Um, this makes yeah. it very tricky for us because now we're left with a question of we either record still on Sundays, try to release on Sunday as possible. Or we have to move to a new night. That only night I think that either of us realize is even a possibility would be a Thursday night. The downside is Ben and I love doing the show, but both of us are very busy. Fridays and Saturdays are usually jam-packed. Sunday nights are jam-packed. You know, it's – and it – Sometimes we don't get a chance to watch. We don't get to watch these shows when they air usually. We're usually a day behind, which means by Wednesday night we have to be fully up to – you know, up to what's happening on all of these shows, which gets very tricky because we're now talking about, you know, five hours of television, you know, minus commercials, you know, four and a half. But still, that's a a dramatic amount of time that needs to be now consumed probably within a single night to two nights uh, to make sure we can record on a Thursday evening. So I think the best way we can talk about this is we'll probably put up a poll sometime soon. 
so the idea is either that we continue on the normal release schedule that we're doing, or we'll be recording Thursday nights with a release for Friday. Uh, I think are the the two options we'll probably be putting out there. So we'll leave it to the community to make a decision. We'll find a way to make it work. We'll make sure that you guys will still get your shows. Uh, it's the question of if it's going to be slightly behind for some people, where if you're not fully caught up and you don't listen to the episode as soon as it posts, uh, you're already into the new week. But, uh, you know, this is uh, something I think the best move we can do right now is to leave it up to you guys. We'll find a way to make it work. But it'll either be coming out on a Friday or a midday on a Sunday or a Monday morning. So, yeah, I mean, uh, there, there are pros and cons to both. Um, right. You know, if if we if we stick with the current schedule as it is right now, we still get the the freedom. Now, see, with me, I could watch the shows the night that they air. I usually don't. I wait until closer to the time we record so that they're fresher in my mind. <clears throat> but if we're recording now on like a Wednesday or Thursday night, it kind of forces me to watch them when they first air. And then they're still fresh in our head by the time we record. Uh, you know, the pro to that is that, one, we post the podcast on Fridays, which gives our listeners the weekend to listen to the podcast before the new shows air uh, rather than posting on Monday morning and giving you maybe 12 hours to listen to the podcast before the new episode aired that night. Um, so, you know, changing the day and gives the listeners more time to listen. It gives us less time to watch, but the listeners more time to, to uh, more, the listeners more time to listen. Uh, another pro to that is it opens up our weekends completely. Now we don't have to worry about having to be home on Sunday mornings. Uh, you know, if we if we have to go away for the weekend, we don't have to worry about fiddling with the schedule to make it work. So there's there's pros to that as well for us. The cons to moving it, <clears throat> um, you know, obviously are we have a shorter time to watch the shows, especially now that it seems that all five shows are going to be running at the same time now. Whereas this past season, we had the the accessibility of knowing that super that that. Um, Legends and Supergirl were flip-flopping. So we only had four shows on at one time. Now we're going to be talking about five shows rather than four. Right. So recording might end up going a little bit longer too, which means if one of us is working during the day or we're both working during the day, we can't record until maybe 7, 8 o'clock at night, which leads us into you know, a longer recording time. Especially right. if we record on a Thursday, which now means I have to have that edited once we're done recording so that I can post it on Friday. Um, you know, which leaves me little time, which means I have an even later night to work with. Recording Sunday mornings, I have all day to edit. Yeah. To, to you know, to post on Monday. So, uh, again, there are pros and cons. And the con for the listeners, if we stick to the normal schedule, is that we're going to release a podcast talking about last week's show's in the middle of the new show's airing. Yeah. So, you know, by the time you're listening to last week's Supergirl, you might have already watched this week's. So yeah. It's it, Again, there are pros and cons to both. Thank you, CW, for totally screwing with us. <laughs> uh, but again, you're right. We'll figure it out. We'll put up a poll. We'll leave it to the listeners. We'll see what the listeners want to do. And one way or another, we'll make it work. We're not going to change... You know, we're not going to call it quits on this podcast just because the schedule changes. We'll right. adapt and we'll go with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll get there. Uh, but the last thing that I want to touch base on really quickly is during the upfronts, um, <laughs> it was uh, just stunning to find out this news. We found out a little bit about the crossover uh, this this year. Now, we do know it's still going to be coming in December. Uh, it will means that that will definitely cross into the Flash's 100th episode. Uh, 
but we also know the setting, and it's a setting none of us expected. No. That setting be Gotham City. How amazing is Gotham City is really in full now coming to Arrow, Arrow, the Arrowverse, not just name dropped randomly. But the most important part of that is the beautiful key art that was released for this crossover with when Stephen Amell came on stage during the, the CW upfronts was there is very much a spotlight in the sky standing behind Supergirl, Flash and Arrow. But it's not the bat symbol most people expected the bat symbol we saw was a very much a more streamlined red one, which meant none other than Kate Kane, a.k.a. Batwoman, will be joining the Arrowverse in full force during this crossover. Um, obviously, this brings up a thousand and one questions and we don't have, a ton <laughs> of, like, have a, you know another three hours to unpack this um, and what this means. And well, I'm sure we'll be talking about this and we'll probably have a very big discussion about this sometime over the summer. But the really really exciting part about this is again now we have this character that was kind of we were assuming was coming into the fold eventually when maggie sawyer was brought into supergirl so now with this character coming into play the question is what earth does she come from all these questions come into play are we going to see maggie come back in the picture because of this or a different version of maggie from another earth you know all these things come into play where's batman in the mix of this does, does batman even exist in this universe at this point in time uh or whatever earth that she hails from so there's a thousand and one questions it's really really exciting but man i have a feeling this is going to make for a very wonderful and magical and amazing crossover this coming season i, I can't wait i mean just knowing how excited steven was for it hearing him talk a little bit about it more uh you know, knowing that they're going to Gotham City is just... And you're right. We don't know what version it is. I mean, we do know that Bruce Wayne exists in this world. We know that Gotham City exists in this world already. But this could very well not be this world. This could be a different Earth. Uh, we don't know. I, I think it's still going to be Earth 1. I really do. Um, but we'll wait and see. I'm, I'm already completely stoked and excited for this. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, um, that's just... Damn near awesome. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm super pumped for it. So, uh, yeah, me too. Uh, but if that wraps it up with the news, yeah, we can do some recommendations, cheap plugs, and get on out of here. Yeah. So, I gotta say, right off the bat, my big recommendation outside of checking out Superman the movie again, just to just go back and check out, uh, you know, the wonderful Margot Kidder. Of, but my other big one is to drop a line to a good friend of ours who also has a show on the Next Level Network. Um, our good friend Paul, and that's because his Bats, Bows, and Books podcast is coming to an end. Uh, as he focuses his time on what lurks behind Podcast Zero, uh, we made a really wonderful friend through each other's podcasts, and uh, I just want to give him a massive shout out. And if you get a chance, go back check out a couple of his episodes. I believe he's bringing them down from streaming on June first. So uh, get an opportunity, maybe check out an episode of Bats, Bows, and Books before it comes offline. Toss him a line, say hello to Paul. Uh, wonderful, wonderful guy, and loves these shows as much as we do. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as my recommendations go, I'll share yours too, as well as go back and watch the original Superman. But I have two others. Um, one, they're both neither one of them DC related. Uh, the first is go see Deadpool two. My God, I. It, it's I don't it's on par of the first one. I don't know if it's better than the first one, but it's just as good as the first one. There are some absolutely hysterical moments, and I will tell you right now from the start if you haven't watched it yet, um, this is the first Marvel movie in a long time. There is no end credit scene. 
there's nothing at the very end like there was the first one. However, there are mid-credit scenes that I kid you not are some of the most fantastic mid-credit scenes I have ever seen in a Marvel movie. <laughs> I, I, I heard about what they were, and that does not ruin anything for me because I just need to see it now. I I was in tears. My stomach hurt. I think I laughed harder at the mid-credit scenes than I did throughout the entire movie. It was – the whole movie is great. Um it's just so much fun to watch. So if you haven't seen it yet, watch that. Uh, my other recommendation uh, is for a television show on HBO. The season actually just wrapped, but if you have HBO, you can go back and rewatch it. It's 10 episodes. Uh, it's, an, it's a show called Barry with Bill Hader. And the reason why I bring this up is because I met somebody this weekend at Wizard World uh, who was honestly, quite honestly, and I say this a lot about the people that I meet, but I've never meant it as much as I mean it with this gentleman. One of the most, one of the nicest and most genuine people, genuinely nice people I've ever met. I had an opportunity to meet Henry Winkler this weekend. I got to talk to him for like a good 10, 15 minutes because there was nobody in line, which I, I don't know why. Like I wanted to just tell everybody, go meet Henry Winkler because you won't regret it. And, I was actually supposed to have an interview with Henry this weekend, but unfortunately, because Barry got picked up for season two, he's still contracted through HBO. So now interviews have to go through HBO. But such a nice, genuine guy. I got a picture with him. He shook my hand easily five or six times because he just loved what I was saying about his work. And he even told me when I told him I was supposed to interview him, he specifically told me, reach out to HBO. He would happily do a phone interview with me. So hopefully at some point we're going to have him on the on the showcast spotlight over like the course, of like the next couple months. Um, could not. I, I can't stop talking about how much of a nice guy he was. Uh, so for that reason, I want to encourage people to watch his show, Barry, because he's, he's one of the stars of that show. Uh, and it's just a fantastic show. And he's a wonderful human being. That's awesome. So, and his panel was fantastic. Like he's, it, he's another one of those gentlemen that doesn't need a storyteller. Um, somebody just real quick. Uh, I know we got to wrap, but, um, the the te- the television behind him the monitor behind him said a conversation with Henry Winkler, except they whoever made it misspelled his name and they called they said Henry Winkley, <laughs> so it was a Y instead of an R. He never noticed it until somebody pointed it out to him. Somebody in the audience asked him a question and said, "I'm curious, who is Henry Winkley?" And, you know, that made the audience laugh because I didn't even notice it until this person pointed it out. And he turns around, he turns around and he says, oh, that's, that's my, um, that's my witness protection name. (laughs) Uh, That's the name I took for witness protection. He's like, but I wasn't really in that much danger. So we only changed the letter. (laughs) Like he's, he's so damn funny and he's so quick witted and just again so genuine so my other recommendation again is barry on hbo go back and check it out totally half 10 half hour episodes you you won't regret it nice uh all right cheap plugs and let's get out of here uh of course you can check out this podcast as well as well as all others on the next level podcast network next level radio online.com facebook.com slash next level radio online the facebook page for dc primetime facebook.com slash dc primetime and of course our dc primetime voicemail number where you can call and leave us a message of any kind of feedback you would like 1-888-247-5380 toll free in the u.s and canada again one 888 
347-537-5380. And for me, you can always find me through the nextlevelradioonline.com website through the Caffeine Crew cast of pods. Uh, like I said, our board game episode is not recording this week, but the following because we do have one of our key members that needs to be there is out of the country for a week. So uh, like I said, definitely more than a little bit more behind than I would have liked, but uh, it's still coming. Don't worry. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> uh, but uh, aside from that, a big special thanks for a good friend, George Shaw at georgeshawmusic.com. He is kind enough to lend his beautiful music for our show each and every week. So make sure you head over to his page, check out his stuff and show your support. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so again, next week, two shows we're going to talk about, and that's pretty much what we're going to limit it to. We're going to have the next episode of Supergirl uh, and, of course, the season finale of The Flash, which we'll talk about as well. Uh, but until that time, Rob and I are going to get to see Solo this week, so I know I'm excited about that. Uh-huh. Um, especially with the rumor that Donald Glover wants a Lando movie, which uh, <laughs> he's the main reason I'm going to see Solo anyway, so uh, I, yeah. hope that, I hope that happens. Um, but yeah, excited about that. If you get the chance to see it, Obviously, uh, we hope you enjoy that as well. But until next week, we'll see you guys around the bend. Take care. Peace.